is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. We're back in the lab. Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode of Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. I'm going back to the pen, guys. I mean, this guy's 2-0 in his last two outings, showing no signs of slowing down. Sam Ekstrom filling in for Reggie. What's going on, Sam? I'm uh, pitching a little better than Dylan Bundy right now for the Twins, that's for sure. Yeah, plenty to discuss, of course, starting with the Minnesota Wilds. Big bounce back game last night, hammering the Blues 6-2. to two. We're going to bring in Seth Topol to break it all down. We're going to do a deep dive on the Minnesota Twins through the first five weeks and what we've learned from the first place ball club. Plus, later on, I'm putting Sam on the hot seat with what does it mean. It's all coming up on Superior Sports Talk. But first, make sure to check out our other daily show on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. It's the Ron Johnson Show, featuring former Gophers and NFL receiver Ron Johnson and producer, who else? Sam Ekstrom. Get the daily opinions of an athlete-turned-broadcaster. Ron Johnson tells it like it is, whether it's Vikings, Gophers, Wolves, or Twins. Subscribe to the Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel or podcast feeds so you never miss an episode. All right, well, Sam... 30-minute show, five days a week. It's tough to really go in-depth and do a real deep dive on baseball every day. And I just feel like because of that, we really haven't given the Minnesota Twins enough attention on this show. So today, as we sit here five weeks into the MLB season, I kind of want to peel back the onion, so to speak, and find out just what this ball club is all about. Before we look at it in a broader scope, let's just talk about last night's game real quick. As you mentioned, Dylan Bundy was on the mound against his former team, comes into the game 3-1 and one despite kind of a rocky start in his last outing. If you sat down on your couch last night and only watched the third and fourth innings in this one, you pretty much got the gist. Bundy gives up six in the third. Twins rally right back with four of their own with a two-run bomb from Carlos Correa to give them a little bit of life. But Orioles come right back in the fourth and tack on three more. And that, I mean, that was your ball game. Twins lose nine to four and come back down to earth a little bit after winning 11 of their last 12 games and find themselves in first place in the Central Division. That's all you really need to know about that one. Byron Buxton was not in the lineup. Bundy gets smacked, again, allowing nine runs and three and two-thirds innings. Looking back, though, Sam, on that wild red-hot streak, before I get into some specifics, I'm wondering what your big takeaways were, some big highlights during that stretch. I mean, teams do get streaky in the MLB, so just how sustainable is this Twins' recent success? Yeah, you're probably not going to win games at a, a 11 out of 12 pace, but you know that you need to have a couple of those during your season mm-hmm. to become a, a a ball club that's 20 above 500, right? If you have two stretches, 11 out of 12, and then you play 500 the rest of the way, that puts your record at you know 91 and 71. That's a, that's a playoff team right there. So you do that again, and then tread water the rest of the way. That's what most teams do. I mean, even the the Bomba Squad Twins. Um, in 2019, they kind of prop- were propelled by an incredible month of May. Um, and then they had a pretty good September as well. But, you know, other than that, a lot of times in baseball, you have those lulls where you're just trying to stay afloat. You might have injuries. Um, and I think that's important to note here in this Twins run is that they have dealt with injuries and they've overcome it. Like they didn't have Buxton that whole time. They haven't had Kirilov. Um, you know, they just lost uh, another starting pitcher. So, they have dealt with stuff, and they've kind of stayed afloat through it. And they even, they haven't even had the best offense either, Luke. 
I mean, the the beginnings of this winning streak, remember, they were winning games two to one, one right. to nothing, four right. to three. They they were squeaking by with some late game heroics, but they were not hitting the baseball. Um, now they're starting to come around a little bit offensively. We're seeing Kepler seeing the ball better. Correa is seeing the ball great right now. Trevor Larnick, the former first-round pick, is hitting really well. Um, so the bats are coming alive, and the pitching, except for Bundy, has stayed pretty strong. And I feel like the bullpen is actually kind of coming into, into its own as well. That was the weak spot early when they started 4-8. Now the bullpen is getting uh, coming around as well. So everything's kind of clicking right now with the exception of last night. Um, and they've done it without, you know, perfection. They haven't hit perfectly the whole time. They've been hurt and still they're winning baseball games. That's a good sign. Yeah, I want to touch on that bullpen and just the uh, starting rotation as a whole here in a second. But first, the Twins made a blockbuster move. We know bringing in Carlos Correa this offseason, a move really the Twins are not known for. High expectations coming in, rightfully so. He's batting 264, leads the team with 24 hits right now. When the Twins won the division, looking back, 2018-2019, Nelson Cruz was that veteran leader in the clubhouse, the guy who would just put that team on his back, so to speak. Then it was supposed to be Josh Donaldson the last two seasons. He was supposed to be that guy. Things really didn't pan out, as we know. Uh, Correa, though, is now brought in to be the next guy, it seems like. Now, he'll tell you Byron Buxton is the face of the franchise, and, and certainly I don't think many people are going to argue about that. But Correa, again, from a veteran standpoint – more about that, you know, day-to-day grind, that day-to-day, the process, coming in every day and working your tail off. Do you think he's been what the Twins were hoping he could be, both on the field and off it, bringing this team chemistry together? Yeah, I think the impact has probably been a little more off the field to this point. He's starting mm-hmm. to, to hit a lot better. He had a really big clutch hit last week um, toward the end of a game. I think the bat is really going to come around. We're probably going to see 25, 30 home runs from this guy um, and, you know, close to a 300 average. But his presence is uh, imperative on this team, his voice, because you, you did lose some veterans. You lost Cruz. You lost Donaldson. And they, they traded pieces away at last deadline. And they have gotten a little younger, a little more inexperienced. They bring in a guy who has won a World Series and it was a leader on that Astros team. He's got, you know, he comes from the Buxton draft class. He was pick one. Buxton was pick two. You know, he's he's got that first round pedigree. He's got World Series pedigree. And uh, I, I think that they need that if they're going to be a postseason ball club and break this um hideous, ugly, 18-game postseason losing streak. you got to have players like that that can can sort of carry you in those moments. So I, I think he's going to exhibit his skills on the field even more as the season goes along, but I think his presence in that clubhouse is pretty imperative right now. Yeah, I mean, you just talk to those guys in the clubhouse. They say night and day difference uh, from last year, even two years ago, to the vibe when you compare it to what they got going on now. Just feels like a different vibe. Stock sign pointing up. Last one here with the Twins. You touched on the pitching rotation. That was always the biggest wild card heading into the season. We knew the front office just, you know, they kind of threw a bunch of names together and I hope three or four guys would progress and develop into legitimate contributors. But it's been far from that. I mean, the Twins own the number one ERA in all of baseball and have gotten quality outings from a handful of guys this first five weeks. Specifically, we know about Joe Ryan. He's turned into the team's number one ace. 
And the bullpen, you know, they're doing a good job of mixing and matching the right guys at the right time, seeming to be getting by with what they have without that one dominant reliever right now. What's your overall impressions of the Twins pitching staff through this first stretch? And, you know, what's the long-term forecast as we get into the thick of the summer? Yeah, you know, I, I said this on a previous show. It is believable that they would regress at some point. We're seeing that with Bundy. That was probably never going to last all season, his early success. You know, and you, you could kind of say the same thing too about someone like Chris Paddock you know Chris Paddock has a that kind of number three number four starter status he's had an ERA around four you know in his career he's at 3.15 right now that might might dive down a little bit it's those young pitchers that we don't know how can they like will teams get a scouting report on Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober like how are those guys going to hold up once they get pitching 150 innings will the arms you know stay healthy will their stuff change as the season goes on as they get a little more fatigued and teams kind of get the book on them uh that's probably my, more my concern like I, I think that that Chris Archer and, and Paddock um, and Sonny Gray, if he gets back healthy, like they're going to give you a professional approach every game. Uh, you kind of know what you're going to get. It's not spectacular, but it's not terrible either. I think Joe Ryan has potential to be spectacular, but we don't know over the course of a full season how it's going to go. Same with Bailey Ober. So how are those, those young arms going to fare once we get into the dog days of this season I think that's going to dictate how successful this rotation is yeah Chris Archer on the mound tonight versus the Orioles first pitch at 6.05 p.m. Central Standard Time Twins looking to take the series three games to one stay atop of the Central Division coming up we got Seth Topol from the Locked On Wild helping us break down the 6-2 win over the Blues last night plus later on I'm putting Sam on the hot seat with what does it mean but first do you want smart post-game reaction from insiders that cover your favorite teams check out our Locked On Sports Minnesota podcasts on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Get instant reactions from our Lockdown team host, along with prominent reporters like Kevin Gord for the Wild and Brandon Warren for the Twins. And subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube and never miss a podcast. All right, well, the Wild bounced back in a big way last night. They throttled the Blues 6-2. Kaprizov with the hat trick. Erickson adds two more of his own, and the Wild dominate in front of an absolutely rocking home crowd in a must-win to split the series before heading back to St. Louis Friday. So let's bring in our Minnesota Wild expert now, Seth Topol from Locked on Wild. Check him out for all your daily Wild coverage and on Twitter, at Seth Topus. And Seth, I want to start here first. Sam came on Tuesday after that brutal 4-0 loss to the Blues and said he was a little disappointed they didn't roll with the hot hand Cam Talbot behind the net in game one. And I got to be honest, I tend to do agree with them. Then I was downright shocked after that performance. They were going to roll with him for the second straight game. But that's why I know nothing, and you're the expert, Seth. So tell us what you thought of that decision first off when you heard the news yesterday morning and why ultimately it worked out so well. You know, I was very surprised because my thought would have been to go with Cam Talbot, too. You look at what he did over the course of the end of the regular season with uh, an unbeaten streak over at well over a month. That would have been my pick would have been to go with him to start game one. But obviously, Bill Guerin got Marc-Andre Fleury for these types of games. And so you roll with him, you end up losing 4 nothing. Dean Evison said after the game, we don't feel like these goals were Marc-Andre Fleury's faults. It was lack of rebound control in front of the net. It was lack of being able to keep the Blues from setting up camp right around the net. And so Evison felt that if they could correct those things, that Marc-Andre Fleury would look better 
in the net, and he did in game two. It, it comes down to something that Dean Evison has done all season, where he has really stuck by his lineup, stuck by his guys, and trusted that they're going to be able to make the corrections themselves as opposed to making big lineup changes, you know, switching goalies out after one game. He has very, by and large, stuck to his team to be able to make adjustments and come out and play better. And the things that let the Wild down in game one were cleaned up nicely, and you get a really nice 6-2 win, and you go from, oh boy, here we go again, to uh, feeling really good going into the uh, St. Louis portion of this series. Seth, uh, hopefully freezing cold takes didn't listen to yesterday's show because I was stupidly um, hoping the Wild didn't get any power plays early in that game. I thought it only served to lower their confidence and sort of create tension. What do they do? They go two for two in the power play in the first period. Um, Was there anything you observed differently about the way they approached the power play last night? Well, just it seemed like overall the team did a much better job of crashing the net they got stuck a little too much on the perimeter during game one and yes they did have more shots than the blues but you look at the quality of the shots they're not great they're coming from you know the top of the zone from the edges and so the wild did a a much better job in game two of getting players around the net to just feast on those rebounds Ville Husso got the shutout but He left a lot of pucks out there that had the Wild had players around the net. They probably would have been able to cash in on. And so that became more of a focus here in game two. And as we saw, they uh, they were able to just feast on uh, some of those loose pucks and definitely took advantage. Seth, we talked about injuries playing a bigger factor heading into the playoffs and in game one than maybe most fans realized a few days ago. Now both teams seem to be a little bit banged up in certain areas. Uh, I guess just how do you feel right now heading into the rest of the series, given where both teams stand on the injury front and maybe not being 100% healthy? And how do you think that may impact specifically game three Friday? This is where the test of depth comes in. And I feel like if you look at both teams, the Blues with their injuries are kind of trending downward coming into game three, losing a couple of blue line players that really helped them out in game one. For the Wilds, the big one obviously is Matt Dumba. You don't have to be an elite hockey mind to see that he is definitely not 100%. But he's going to continue to just grind it out. That's the type of player that he is, the leader that he is for this team. He's going to give what he can on the ice. And you look at one of the biggest differences for game one to game two was the grief line, I think, looked way more like they did during the regular season. And that includes Marcus Foligno, who I think needed a game just to kind of get back into the swing of things after that knee injury, get more comfortable. And so I think the Wild are trending in the right direction injury-wise with the exception of Matt Dumba. Other than that, they really have about as healthy of a lineup as they've had since any point of the regular season. Seth, let's talk more about the grief line just because I like saying grief line. Um, They explode last night. Erickson Eck, two goals. Busy night for him. Two penalties as well. Has a hat trick. Has it wiped away. But in the end, gets the last laugh. Uh, Eric Sinek specifically, tell me where he has grown the most this season. You know, it's been just in 
building off of the offense that he added to his arsenal last year. And he was a guy who was a great defensive center, was a pest to play against. But any goals you would get from him were a positive. And came in last year, had uh, 19 goals, and started to show some of that promise. And going into the season, we were wondering if that was going to be a mirage or if that was going to be something that would trend Uh, continue to trend in a positive way. This year it did. He had 26 goals and gives this team a great option on the power play. And uh, just, I think the biggest difference in this series is that you look at the Blues and they've got three lines that can score very well. And the Wild had the Kaprizov line and the Fiala line. We know that those guys are going to score. The Grief line, their expectation was that they were going to be the defensive line to shut down one of the opposition lines. If the Wilds can continue to get scoring from that line, that I think is a spot where they can really turn uh, favor of this series to them. And if they can build off of this game two performance, that's going to play huge, especially on the road in an environment that is going to be very difficult to play in. Wild leave Minnesota with a series split, all tied up at one game apiece. They head back to St. Louis Friday to play the Blues in Game 3. Puck drop, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time on TNT. Rest assured, we'll be back here Monday morning to break it all down. He's our wild expert for a reason. Seth Topal bringing the heat. Check him out every day on Locked on Wild. Seth, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hope to see you again real soon. Anytime you guys need me, I'm there. Uh, looking forward to what should be an electric Game 3. And people have to check out Seth and Kevin Gorg in the postcast as well after the games. Yeah. <laughs> Seth bringing the heat per usual, Sam. I really was intrigued about what he said about the decision to start Flurry again in Game 2, despite maybe what we thought a, a big surprising move yesterday morning we found out on the show. Uh, any big takeaways there from Seth? Yeah, obviously the goaltending was a huge talker going into the day. We thought they might switch to Talbot. They stick with Flurry and they get paid off with that gamble. Um, I think I, I'm more intrigued about that grief line because, like you mentioned, you've got your Kaprizov, you've got your Fiala. You don't always have that third scoring line. Well, Eric Sinek has emerged to become this legitimate kind of third scorer on this team. Greenway adds the physicality. Felino adds just a little bit of everything and that, that leadership and the captaincy. I think that's one of the most fun lines to watch, and apparently that's the line that Dean Evison wants defending the Tarasenko line for, for St. Louis, too. So they're maybe the, the pivotal line to watch in this series. If they can score and defend like they did last night, then the Wild have a great chance. My favorite time has come. It's the segment everybody waits for every day, Monday through Friday, here on Superior Sports Talk. I'm putting Sam on the hot seat with all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports called What Does It Mean? Sam, are you ready to roll? I think so. Nerv <laughs> nervous as usual. Yep. Here we go. Todd McShay's way too early 2023 NFL mock draft was released yesterday with five quarterbacks being selected in the first 10 picks. McShay also had the Vikings selecting Alabama defensive tackle Brian Breesey, noting the Vikings had one of the worst run defenses last season and didn't draft an interior D lineman in last weekend's draft. Given McShay's reasoning, what does it mean when trying to project the Vikings' run defense in 2022? And given the talent we're going to see next year at quarterback, 
Could next year's draft be the right time for the team to find Kirk Cousins' long-term replacement? Yeah, so first of all, the um, the run defense, I think, could be totally different this year. In a new scheme um, with healthy players, I think it could be better. I mean, uh, Harrison Phillips certainly gives you that Michael Pierce size, so you kind of replaced him apples to apples. Uh, Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter are both pretty good against the run, but it's just going to look so different defensively that I have a hard time saying it's it's going to be bad automatically. Um, run defense is something that could can get cleaned up without a ton of adjustment. And sometimes you, you know, over a larger sample size, maybe last year was a bit of an anomaly. Um, I think they, they've brought in some pretty good tackling defensive backs too with Scene and Booth. Um, check that. Booth, not very good at tackling. Scene, very good at tackling. Uh, correction on that. But Cameron Dantzler has proven to be pretty physical. Patrick Peterson is, you know, I don't know if he's hitting like he used to, but he still knows where to be in the right place. Um, so I think the run defense can be better, at least like average this year. Do they get a quarterback in the draft? It's hard to project them being in that top 10 in the draft order. Like if that's where all the quarterbacks are going, if it's going to be top heavy, I, I feel like the Vikings are a little too good to, to be in position to take one. Um, they might, again, kind of be in that purgatory where if they want their quarterback, they're going to have to trade up for it. Brooklyn Nets swingman Ben Simmons, he's going to require three to four months of rehabilitation after undergoing back surgery on Thursday, but is expected to be fully recovered to return to the court well ahead of preseason training camp in September. What does it mean regarding the future for this former number one overall pick who has been just plagued with these issues on and off the court? Yeah, you know, th this does probably give a little vindication to Simmons because there were some pundits that pointed to his back injury as almost right. an imaginary like condition, you know, as right. if he, were, he was going out of his way to avoid playing the games. Um, I think he's still got, you know, probably so some issues upstairs. And, you know, too, I want to like respect like the mental health side of it too. Like if mm -hmm. that's le the legitimate concern, yeah, he's got to, got to take care of that. And, you know, when you're down mentally and you're down physically, which he sounds like he is with this back issue that can, that can take a toll on a person. So I guess I'm taking a little more sympathetic approach uh, with Simmons, but I, I think ultimately he needs to be on a team that is able to, you know, support him, have patience with him. And he, like, he needs the right GM. He needs the right coach and the right teammates. Cause not every situation is going to, to cater to what he's going through, whatever it is that he's going through. I don't know the nuances, but I do know that he's a polarizing player. He's very effective in certain areas when he's on the court. I, I'd almost liken him a little bit, maybe a little better version of Ricky Rubio, where mm. he does a lot of other stuff really well, mm -hmm. not necessarily scoring. Um, that's the kind of the simplest terms I can put it in. And a player like that can be very valuable on a good team. Maybe not the star, not number one, not number two, but maybe the third player on a playoff team. Um, I think he still has, you know, a future in this league, but you know, it clock is ticking. It's been a while since he's been like an impact player. Last one. What does it mean with Sam Ekstrom? If they can get past the blues, the wild would then face the winner of the Colorado avalanche and Nashville predators avalanche are up one game to nothing. They play game two tonight. What does it mean when looking ahead and trying to project the wilds road to the cup from what we know so far? Well, it, it's a possible argument that the Wild have or would have the toughest two series to start it's the crazy. playoffs in, like, ever. <laughs> you know, the, the yeah, to, to have home ice, 
but still have to face a team as good as the Blues is one thing. And then going to face the Avalanche, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be the Avalanche in Series mm-hmm. 2, um, one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. From what I heard yesterday, they're like 90% favorites against the the Predators. Based yeah, like on minus minus 400 right now in Vegas. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're. I mean, they are heavily favored to win that series. Uh, but you know what? The Wild kind of played pretty well against the Avalanche this year, better than they did against the Blues. Um, it those might be the toughest tests they would have all postseason because if they beat the Avalanche, then their their matchup in the Western Finals would not be nearly as challenging. And who knows who comes out of the East? Um, unless it's Florida, the Wild might be favored in that series too. So I I think that they're really facing the gauntlet out of the gate. Um, and if they can somehow survive these two series, then uh, they might be legitimately looking at a Stanley Cup run. Yeah, I mean, to be the best, you got to beat the best anyways, I guess, is the only way to really look at that. But man, scratch and cloth, those last three, four weeks, battle, get the two seed, and how are you rewarded? The Blues, and then the Avalanche. Just a brutal road to get to the Cup for the Wild. He survived the gauntlet. Back here tomorrow, recapping more Minnesota Twins and previewing Game 3 of the Wild and Blues. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. Before we get out of here, Sam, what else is cracking and popping up on the Locked On Sports Minnesota Network right now? Anything big happening? We've got some gems coming up on the Ron Johnson Show, not to pat my own show on the back too much, but uh, Roy Williams, former first-round safety, he's on the show today. That's coming out in just a couple hours. Tomorrow, first-round Vikings draft pick Lewis Seen on the show. And then on Monday, fourth-round Vikings pick a Caleb Evans. We are going tic-tac-toe with some serious uh, football defensive backs. So uh, make sure you check out the Ron Johnson Show. Subscribe uh, to the podcast and the YouTube channel. Man, that's like uh, 1927 Yankees murders row lineup. <laughs> He's Sam Ekstrom. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in tomorrow to Superior Sports Talk, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota. For Sam, I'm Luke. Until tomorrow, signing out. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota.